Well, you know, when I see someone criticize Memphis, whether it's in print or if it's on television or whatever it might be, you know, I take it personal. It's like it's talking about part of my family. You know, I'm just one of those guys that loves my hometown and, and, and loves our city so much. And and if the criticisms, if it's justified, you know, I ask myself, what can I do in my small little space to, to change that? And if it's not justified, you know, I will go to great lengths to defend us. I'll, I'll give you a funny example. I don't want to run out of time here, but when, um, Phil, uh, Phil Jackson was coaching. He was staying at the, they were staying at the Madison Hotel. Well, you know, that area of Madison in the early days, it's improved a little bit, but you know, you had the old building across the street, I guess was Lowenstein's or something. And that was a vacant window. And then you had an old, older Walgreens on the other corner. And we had a bookstore or something on the other corner. And there was times I'm sure where at night it looked a little quiet, maybe a little desolate. And he made a comment one time. He said, man, I'm, I'm in a hotel in Memphis and I'm looking out my window and I feel like I'm in, I'm in Dresden after World War II. Man, I got that. I, I saw that and I fired off a letter to him and he wrote, and he wrote me back. <laughs> so I sent him a letter, man. I sent him a letter. I said, now, wait a second. I'm, you know, Coach Jackson, I don't really think that's totally fair <laughs> to call Memphis, downtown Memphis Dresden after World War II. This episode is brought to you by Matt Haga with State Farm Insurance. We all know the things that you rely on the most with your auto, home, renters, business, and life insurance is understanding exactly what you're getting for a competitive price. If you're looking for an agency that is prompt with their service and that will take care of you, then you need to go to matthaga.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-A-A-G-A and contact them. Matt Haga State Farm is licensed to provide coverages in Tennessee and Mississippi. We do have listeners to this podcast from all over the world, so please make sure that this offer is just for the state of Tennessee and Mississippi in the United States. Thanks for listening, and now we're going to get back to the show. My guest this week is Kevin Kane. Kevin is the CEO of Memphis Convention and Visitors Bureau. Kevin took over this position in 1991. In 2019 alone, Memphis had 12.4 million visitors. In this episode, we cover a wide range of topics, everything from the important parts of Memphis that drive tourism numbers, how Memphis CEOs use their platform to generate more tourism in Memphis, why Memphis built the Renaissance Convention Center, how convention centers help drive tourism, and how to navigate change. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, Kevin, good morning. Good morning. So glad to have you on this morning and look forward to just hearing all the things that you're going to share and what our listeners can learn from you, not just from the city standpoint, but just through your career and how you've done your work. So just excited about diving in. I noticed just kind of off the top that you've been with the Convention and Visitors Bureau since 91. So, you know, that's been your career for the most part. I'm just curious about how did this come about? How did things start? Why did it interest you? I'd love to know a little bit about the early days. Well, my background was tourism and hospitality. I, I started out of college in the airline industry 
And then uh, after five years there, I, I switched over to one of the largest corporate travel agencies uh, working on big corporate accounts from there for a couple of years. And then in the mid, mid-80s, I was able to uh, land a position with Holiday Inn Worldwide. Holiday Inns at the time, was, of course, was founded here in Memphis by the late, great Kimmins Wilson, but uh, their headquarters close to 2,500 employees was, was located here in Memphis for many, many decades. And, and I was able to join their national sales organization in 1986. And, um, and over the next uh, five years, I, you know, I, I worked in the hotel side, working with major corporations uh, who were, you know, were buying corporate travel for their employees all over the world. And, uh, and from, I had a series of, of wonderful opportunities within Holiday Inns. I ended up moving from that position to uh, corporate meetings uh, and incentive travel, which are market segments was within tourism and hospitality. And I, I ran our meetings division for a year, a couple of years. And then from there, in addition to that, was also sports marketing. So I got a, kind of a broad rest of experience in a lot of different market segments that helped fill hotels and, and, and make the ecosystem of, of the hotel industry work. And, and then from there, I ended up taking over our worldwide sales. I was director of worldwide sales for them the last uh, two and a half years that I was with the company. And uh, I ran our worldwide sales offices for North America that stretched from Mexico to Canada and about uh, half a dozen cities in, uh, in the United States. Uh, it involved a lot of travel. I got to see the world. I got to see how the world operated from a from a tourism and hospitality standpoint in a lot of different cultures and a lot of different communities around the world, large cities and small cities alike. And in 1991, Holiday Inns was sold and had made the decision that they were going to move the Holiday Inn division to uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And I was a lifelong Memphian and loved this city. And, and, uh, and I was so fortunate throughout my whole hospitality career to always figure out a way to stay in Memphis, even though in cases I worked for national companies that, you know, that had opportunities in a lot of different places, but I was always able to stay in Memphis. So I really, even though I was offered a wonderful opportunity in Atlanta with the new owners of Holiday Inns, you know, I really just wrestled with leaving Memphis. I was single, so I didn't have a family that I had to worry about. Oh gosh, I, you know, I can't miss a paycheck. Got to, got to keep going. Whatever the job takes me, that's where I need to be. I had a little freedom from that standpoint. And, um, and then at, around that same time, the, the, the tourist bureau here that has been around since 1923, if you can believe it, we've had a tourism bureau in Memphis for, for many, many decades, almost a hundred years now. You know, they were looking for a, a new leader of, of their organization. And, and it really intrigued me because of my kind of varied hospitality and hospitality experience going from airlines to major corporate travel agency, then to the hotel industry. So I went for the job. And fortunately, they ended up choosing me for that. And that was 1991, November 1st. And I've, I've been doing that ever since. It's been a it was a great career move for me. A lot of people in corporate America thought I was a little too young to be leaving corporate America at that time. I was only 33, but I felt like it was really just a great opportunity uh, to, to really give back to Memphis and to kind of be a part of what I thought was a, a great 
a city that had unbelievable tourism and hospitality assets. So that's how it started. And I will tell you, there's never been, no two days have, have been alike. Uh, this industry, uh, we're involved in so many things. Tourism has become such a large economic engine for Memphis and Shelby County, <clears throat> supporting over 50,000 jobs. The visitors who come here, which this past year were over 12 million visitors. So you can say we're almost averaging a million visitors a month. And they spend about $3.6 billion in our local economy that generates a couple hundred million dollars plus in local taxes and state taxes. So it's a very important industry, not only in Memphis and Shelby County, but throughout the entire state. And we've seen a lot of changes, you know, over the last couple of decades. I mean, the things that we do now really don't even hardly mirror what we did when I first got here. I mean, we're, we're so much of a data-driven organization today. We have an extensive research department that really does a lot of analytics and that's kind of what guides our marketing and, and, and guides, you know, how we, how we allocate our resources and, and bringing visitors and tourists to our community from, from all over the world. When I originally got here, they did not have much of an international out, outreach. And of course I had a lot of experience coming from my hotel background with, with different parts of the world and we immediately started opening offices by hiring representatives to represent us. We started in the United Kingdom. From there, we went to Germany and France. And since then, we've expanded our international uh, footprint to Australia, New Zealand, Japan, China. You know, we're really truly a global organization that promotes the wonderful assets that we have here in Memphis and Shelby County to literally a global visitor audience. So... There's so many things I feel like you've already talked about, you know, we won't be able to hit them all. But like, for example, when you came on in 91 and you said there was no international sales presence from a strategic side, what did that look like? Did you, would you go out to the parts of the world that you felt would have the most influence in driving the numbers in Memphis? And then you would find somebody there Were they full-time or they part-time like what, like practically, what did that look like when you started to strategically kind of start your plan? It was a combination of uh, full and part-time. In other words, when I say part-time, they were people that also represented other destinations in, in addition to representing Memphis. We started with a, a gentleman who at one time lived in Memphis, a guy named David Nicholson, who came to Memphis from the UK on a tennis scholarship at the University of Memphis, Memphis State at the time. And out of college, he started working for the Convention of Visitors Bureau. This was years before I got here. And then from there, he went to Seattle, Washington, working for the Seattle Tourism Bureau. And then uh, he moved back to the UK and wanted to start representing uh, communities in the United States. And obviously, Memphis was near and dear to his heart because he went to college here for four years and then worked for our organization for a couple of years. So he was our first international employee. And what we did is we had him form his own company and we became his first client. And, uh, and since then, he's grown with other employees to represent places like uh, the state of Tennessee, uh, state of Mississippi, Kentucky, and other places. So he's branched out, broadened since those early days. But Memphis has always remained, of course, his personal priority uh, a client. And it's paid huge dividends for us. I mean, uh, the international market until the pandemic was uh, a roughly about a million visitors a year from outside the United States. And 
you know, music is such a universal language, as you know, you know, we had a natural affinity to a global audience because of Elvis and because of B.B. King and because of, you know, the Memphis music of Stax, Sun and you know, rock and roll and soul and everything in between. So, you know, we kind of had a real advantage there. There was such a enormous fondness for the music that came out of Memphis and came out of that region that we became a natural uh, to capture international visitors. And uh, so and it, it's really worked wonderfully for us as we've grown it and expanded it through the years. And, uh, and I firmly believe once we get through this pandemic and, and this thing hopefully gets in somewhat in our rearview mirror somewhere down the road, however long it's going to take, you know, I think the international audience will s- still be coming back to Memphis as robust as they were before all this started. When you started in 91, do you know the data or the numbers of how many visitors would come to Memphis a year, tours? I think the economic impact of hospitality in 1990 was a billion dollars. We've almost quadrupled that in the last, you know, 30 years. I think the employment base in 1990 was in the low 20,000s, 20,000s. So we've almost tripled our employment base in tourism and hospitality. I think the, the, uh, as I say, we were a, 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 about a billion-dollar industry. Now we're close to a four-billion-dollar industry, so we've gone up fourfold in 30 years. And we've been able to see, especially over the last seven or eight years, we've seen uh, consistent upward uh, gains in visitors as well as, as spend. We don't calculate those numbers on our own. I mean, the travel. Uh, a lot of our travel data is generated out of Washington, D.C., out of the U.S. data center that really, you know, measures SIC codes, et cetera, et cetera, to, to look at various industry performances. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of our, a lot of that information from the federal government. So, and I think if you look across the state of Tennessee, I, I think as we've, we've heard this over and over since the pandemic started, clearly the job losses, which are close to a half a million in the state of Tennessee, I think 65 plus percent of those jobs are in the service or hospitality sector. So our industry really is at the tip of the spear uh, as it relates to job loss and probably revenue loss. And uh, that's why folks like everyone from Governor Lee and and the governor's office to Mayor Strickland and Mayor Lee in Memphis and Shelby County, they understand it's really important to get our industry going again. Obviously, it's important to get the entire economy going again, but You know, tourism and hospitality generates a lot of jobs, supports a lot of jobs, and generates a lot of revenue. And the beautiful thing about our industry, and of course, I know you know this, goes without saying, but when visitors come here from other parts of the country and spend their money in Memphis, staying at our hotels, going to our attractions, eating at our restaurants, shopping, whatever they do while they're here, you know, that's money that was made in other parts of the country, some cases other parts of the world. So that's really the cleanest money that you could ever hope to get. It's not like me taking my Memphis paycheck and spending it at a Memphis grocery store or a Memphis restaurant. This is taking money that was not generated in Memphis. It was generated someplace else and investing that into the uh, coffers of of our businesses in in Memphis. So that's why it's so important for us to get our, our industry rejuvenated and going again. Obviously, we want to do it consciously and we want to make sure everybody is safe along the way. Something I, th- I think that it's easy to take 
for granted as a Memphian. And I was looking at this yesterday, just prior to our conversation. But as to your point earlier, you know, last year we had 12.4 million visitors in the Memphis metro area is 1.3 million. Boston has 19 million visitors with an area metro population of close to 5 million. Orlando has 2.5 million people in their area with 75 million visitors, but 58 million of that is from Disney. So you take that out of it, that's 17. I think it's just so easy to miss and to not be grateful for how much tourism, how much growth. And I know, you know, the convention center is going to be remodeled or is being remodeled. And that was going to open later this fall. I know that COVID no, was on no one's radar. And I've obviously seen the data of what happens with a great convention center and how that, that number, that improvement adds to the increase. So there's just been an incredible amount of momentum. And I think it's just easy to take it for granted. And honestly, I didn't see it as clearly until I was really looking at a lot of the hard numbers yesterday. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, it's a, uh, I think a lot of times people look at tourism and hospitality and they look at places like Graceland or, or Beale Street or NCAA tournament or whatever it might be, big convention that's in town. And they say, oh, isn't that nice? Boy, that's really nice. Isn't that great? We have the NCAA regionals here. Oh, isn't that wonderful that uh, uh, we have uh, Elvis Presley's Graceland here? But I, I think sometimes people don't look at tourism and hospitality like they would look at FedEx or International Paper or AutoZone or, or even the, our medical industry. You know, we're kind of an industry that's a little bit of an enigma sometimes. We kind of, you know, we're kind of, we're a very diverse industry. And I think people don't realize the significant impact uh, that we bring to uh, to this community and to this region and to, and to this state. So we are a very important part of the economic ecosystem of what makes Memphis and Shelby County what it is. And um, And as I always tell people, you know, those quality of life, uh, amenities that sometimes people will say, well, isn't that nice? We got a beautiful uh, rejuvenated Shelby Farms. Oh, isn't that nice? We lit our bridge light. We put lights on our bridge. Uh, oh, that bridge over the Great River Crossing over the, for people to, uh, they don't understand that those are great amenities for our citizens, but those are also great attractors to help us lure visitors from the region, from around the country, and in some cases from all around the world. And it really, those investments sometimes have uh, huge returns on investment for citizens that most citizens may not even realize. And I think we're going to see with these improvements to the convention center, by the way, the convention center is a $200 million renovation, but it's more than a renovation. It's a transformation. It's basically going to look like a brand new building inside and out. It's going to be very modern, well-appointed. When that building was built in the mid-1970s, you know, back in those days, those buildings were very monolithic, uh, very un, I would say, un-hotel quality-esque, if that's a term. And, you know, as the industry has evolved, even public buildings have invested in making their, their, their convention centers to have more of that feel that you would have in a very upscale, a very well-appointed hotel. And that's what we're doing. And, you know, we sit right on the 
beautiful Mississippi River. And there were so few views of even knowing that we were even anywhere near water. And we certainly addressed that with this renovation or transformation, as I like to say it. We've got uh, floor-to-ceiling glass now running the entire west side uh, of the exhibit hall, which is the biggest part of our building, and across the main concourse that runs east to west that separates basically the Cannon Center and the ballroom to the exhibit hall in the building. So uh, you're going to have beautiful views of the outdoors from this renovation that is going to be a great sales asset for us as we serve convention and groups, you know, for many, many years to come. So I saw that for one, it made me feel thankful because, you know, we're remodeling to what you've said, or city's remodeling, you're remodeling, Yates is remodeling for the benefit of, of us as Memphians. But, you know, for 200 million for, you said a facility that was built in the 70s, so close to 50 years, whereas, you know, Nashville costs 650 million, you know, so it's more than a third less. But then it's also, I think, neat to see like Nashville, they've added, set, you know, close to a million additional visitors a year since putting in their new, you know, convention center, 700,000 to be exact. So it, you start even not being an economist or even not being a city official or not being in on the inner workings you see from a macro perspective, the value of the things that can be done to try to generate the most amount of growth and the most amount of numbers increase. So I thought it was really just interesting kind of diving in the details a little bit and starting to understand, you know, why it's important. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the Nashville Music City Center is a great case study. You know, they built that building, was under construction during the last recession that we had during the financial crisis, 2008, 9, and 10, and 11. And uh, I think they opened in 12 or 13. You know, that building led to, in my humble opinion, led to, uh, they had a lot of good positive momentum, but the Music City Center led to a lot of uh, hotel investment, which led to more restaurants being built, more entertainment areas like the Gulch areas and other parts that just kind of came out of nowhere. And a lot of that was a spinoff of the investment that they made in the Music City Center. Now, they spent $685 million, and make no mistake about it, that building is two and a half times larger than our building. But um, if they were rebuilding that building today, it would probably cost well north of a billion dollars. So that building has served them well. And I feel like our building is going to serve, serve us as well very well. You remember convention center size uh, in order, you know, if we went out and built triple the size of our building, it wouldn't really do us any good. I mean, you got to have the big hotels to support that if you're really going to be successful with that. And I think for our hotel market in our community, the convention center is right sized. We do have space on the west side of the building on city property where we could actually somewhere down the road could expand that building by another 50, 60% if we needed to larger, more meeting space, larger exhibit hall, what have you. So, you know, this industry is always evolving, although we're, we're kind of in a holding pattern or we've gone backwards temporarily with the, with this pandemic, but you know, this building is, is, is located and it's in what we're doing you know, I think we wouldn't be prudent if we weren't thinking of where do we go from here, even though we hadn't even opened this one yet. And we do have uh, at least plans 
uh, for somewhere down the road for expansion. And so this won't be all that it can ever be. It can't be more than what it is. But I will tell you what we're doing is exactly what we need right now. Uh, you know, the, the, the knock on our building was three things. Number one, it was very, it was not very flexible. Most of our meeting rooms were hard walled. Uh, most of our meeting rooms, by the way, were in low ceiling areas with columns, which, you know, in the world of technology with AV and the digital world that we live in was a real problem and challenge for us. We didn't, you know, convention centers have changed to uh, a real emphasis on breakout and education opportunities. We only had 30 meeting rooms, breakout meeting rooms in the building. We'll have close to 50 when this is done. And as I say, very high ceilings and uh, very flexible. Even our exhibit hall, which is 125,000 square feet of column-free space for trade shows and exhibitors and things of that nature, we feel that we're right size for that market. So we're very pleased with that. And we've actually made that space even more flexible. As I said, we now have a the whole Western side of that exhibit hall, which is the biggest part of the building. And it's also on the second level. It's one level off the ground. You know, that was a, just a solid floor-to-ceiling brick wall there. Now it is floor-to-ceiling glass with the beautiful concourse that you can do pre-receptions and events uh, out there overlooking the river, and you can enter the now the big exhibit hall from the western part of the building, which you couldn't even do that before. So another challenge we had was the fact that, so one flexible, we didn't have enough breakout meeting rooms. And the third thing, we had a real challenge with what, we, what you would call conventions being able to move in and move out get in and get out. Uh, I'll use the AutoZone National Sales Meeting as an example. They have a big expo, product demonstrations for all of their stores and all their distributors and, and, and people, the distributors that they work with, their store managers and et cetera, et cetera. It would take AutoZone because our exhibit hall was on the second floor and we only had one way up and one way down. And uh, we actually have the largest truck elevator in the United States, or we had it, we've torn it down now. So you would have to back a big 18 wheeler on an elevator and move it up one at a time. And they would have to unload in our exhibit hall. And then the 18 wheeler would have to come down, go out, and then you have to pull the next truck. Well, most convention centers in their exhibit hall, they'll have a series of loading docks that they can just back those trucks right up to the exhibit hall. And they can just start unloading them all simultaneously. So Ours was a little cost time and money for our customers to what we call load in to get ready for a convention and load out when, when the convention would break down and would, would leave. And we've been able to create four loading dock, the four docks areas on that second floor. We've rebuilt that whole area. There's no more elevator loading uh, for, ele for trucks, et cetera. And we can at least get four trucks up there. Now, look, I wish we could get eight trucks up there, but four is better than nothing. And it will certainly make the ease of, of, of people being able to get in and get out, the exhibitors and the convention planners. It will save them time and money. So we've addressed, we've addressed a lot of the shortfalls of the building. And, of course, most importantly was having a 21st century modern hotel quality finish to it, too. And we've, we're addressing that, of course. I hope we can get into a little bit more stuff like this just through the rest of our time. But like, so an example like that, like you're very aware, like you would be, AutoZone would be of the limitations of the elevators and things like that. So to get the deal done, 
which I don't even know how long it took you to, to go through this convention center and for approval and budgeting and everything. Obviously, it's a very long process. We'd love to hear however much you want to share about that. But how, when you're negotiating or bringing deals in, like just simply from a sales promotional perspective, how do you kind of acknowledge the truth of the current condition, but then also like foster and nurture the relationships with the the decision maker like Bill Rhodes or whoever it was at AutoZone to like just keep them engaged and like to let them know that you, you want them now, you need them now, but then you're also working to, to build it, to give them as good of a product that they can possibly get. Like, how do you, how have you learned to do that? Cause you have so many things going on. I mean, honestly, when you try to even read about how many different things are going on, I don't even know how you keep up with it all, but you have that, it's like those conversations going all the time. And then also for things to actually get done, there's so many other people that have to get involved in approval. And it's like, you know, I know there's got to be setbacks or I know there's got to be, you know, hiccups or I know there's got to be things that don't work, but it's like, how do you navigate all that personally? Well, you know, first of all, you know, it takes a village. We all know that. And we've got a great team of truly uh, industry professionals uh, that work for us here, as well as we also manage the convention center, which is not very few tourism bureaus also manage their their convention center. They're usually separately managed. Well, we manage that building as well under a separate company that is a division of Memphis Tourism, and it's called Memphis Management Group. And we've got great people there, uh, great industry pros. You know, the appeal to Memphis, believe it or not, has been so dynamic that people came here in spite of the limitations and challenges of our convention center, because we were a great destination. Uh, We had a lot to offer from a, uh, from an amenity standpoint and from a uniqueness standpoint that, you know, we kind of uh, succeeded in spite of ourselves on many occasions. Now that's out of town, national, organizations and companies. Our hometown people, you know, I can't say enough about a Bill Rhodes or a Rick Shadyac that could have taken their conferences to other cities. Bill Rhodes could have taken the AutoZone manager's meeting in September and he could have moved it to Nashville. He could have moved it to any city he wanted to. It's a big piece of business. It's worth a lot of money to a local economy. You know, Bill is such a Memphis champion. He said, we need to be in Memphis. We're a Memphis company. We need to do this in Memphis. And uh, and Rick Shadiak is the same at St. Jude. And of course, FedEx and and, and Service Master, I could go on and on. We got so many champions uh, for our community that they would do things in our building, even though our building probably wasn't up to their standards. And in some cases, our building probably was not the image they were wanting to to project even to their customers or to their employees. I'm just so happy and I'm so proud of of this investment into our convention center, the Renaissance Convention Center. We got a naming rights partner, Renaissance Bank stepped up and and signed a 10-year deal, which is kind of new, not real common in the, the, it's very common in stadiums and arenas, but it's kind of rare and convention centers are a handful around the country that, that have a corporate naming rights partner name on the building, the Cobo Center in Detroit, the Duke Energy Center in Cincinnati, and there's a handful of others. But So we're so fortunate that uh, Renaissance Bank 
wanted to uh, expand their presence and visibility in the Memphis market, and they loved what we were doing. And, and let me let me just say full disclosure. You know, we talked to First Tennessee, we talked to Regions, we talked to all other Memphis big banks. I mean, First Tennessee already has their name on a big building in downtown Memphis. Probably something they said, do we really need our name on two buildings? You know, so, you know, we did obviously talk to local companies. So it wasn't like we shunned the, the local Memphis uh, headquarter companies. They were fully aware that we were looking at a financial services partner. And they were very supportive of us doing that. And we're so thankful to have this relationship with the Renaissance Bank folks as they expand their their footprint. You know, they're headquartered in Tupelo, Mississippi, but they've got a footprint throughout the southeastern part of the United States. So, but I'm just so proud that we can now give a quality product to our hometown companies. And uh, it's going to be a building that they're going to be very proud of to have their meeting their convention, their trade show, whatever it might be in, in, in our new building. And I'm calling it a new building because if I took you in there today and you were in there two or three years ago, you, I could blindfold you. You wouldn't even know where you were. It looks that much, that much change. So, so yeah, we're really excited about that. And it is going to pay us a lot of dividends for many years down the road. Do you ever get to just, I, I think I know the answer, but do you ever get to just look back and see all that's been done, all how far we've come or is your mind always just kind of consumed by the next thing? Because if like once something's up, then something else is popping up. What's that like for you personally? Well, when I see someone criticize Memphis, whether it's in print or if it's on television or whatever it might be, you know, I take it personal. It's like, it's talking about part of my family. (laughs) You know, I'm just one of those guys that loves my hometown and, and, and loves our city so much. And, and if the criticisms, if it's justified, you know, I ask myself, what can I do in my small little space to, to change that? And if it's not justified, you know, I will go to great lengths to defend us. I'll, I'll give you a funny example. I don't want to run out of time here. But when uh, Phil, uh, Phil Jackson was coaching, he was staying at the – they were staying at the Madison Hotel. Well, you know that area Madison – in the early days, it's improved a little bit, but you know, you had the old building across the street, I guess was Lowenstein's or something. And that was a vacant window. And then you had an old, older Walgreens on the other corner and we had a bookstore or something on the other corner. And there was times I'm sure where at night it looked a little quiet, maybe a little desolate. And he made a comment one time. He said, man, I'm, I'm in a hotel in Memphis and I'm looking out my window and I feel like I'm in, I'm in Dresden after world war two, man, I got that. I, I saw that and I fired off a letter to him uh, <laughs> and, he wrote, and he wrote me back. <laughs> like you, so, sent him a, you sent him a letter in the mail. I sent him a letter, man. I sent him a letter. I said, no, wait a second. I'm, you know, coach Jackson. I don't really think that's totally fair. <laughs> I had to call Memphis, downtown Memphis Dresden after world war two. And, and he sent a very polite letter back, but he, you know, and, and quite honestly, you know, I actually went into the Madison Hotel after that, and I just walked up to a room, and I looked out the window and looked around. This was even before Metro 67. It, 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 that was the old Union Planners Bank building. That had been closed. So there was a lot of closed things around there at the time. And I said, oh, God, he's, you know, he's kind of right. It does look pretty desolate out here. <laughs> You're looking out your window at 8 o'clock at night. But, you know, uh, we made such great. Uh, improvements to downtown and and what's going on now, the $19 billion worth of construction that's going out 
throughout all of Shelby County, but so much in downtown. And of course, the convention center is a very important part of that. And Union Square, what the Carlisle family's doing at the foot of Beale Street and Riverside Drive and, and plans and all the great things that St. Jude's done around their campus. You know, Memphis at the Edge District. And of course, I could be just keep on going and listen things. But, you know, we are going through a major transformation right now. And to me, that's what's so exciting as we come through this pandemic. You know, Memphis had momentum, as Mayor Strickland always likes to say. Memphis has momentum. We had momentum before this started. The construction continues. Every hospital is getting improved. Every, you know, almost every major section of the city is getting major bricks and mortar and investment improvements. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a a great story to tell and we're going to have a great product for people. We're building a lot of new hotels. Uh, The Lowe's Hotel, which is that big 500 room convention center hotel that we need so desperately. Just as recently as a couple weeks ago, John Tisch, the owner of the New York Giants, as well as the owner of the Lowe's Hotel Company, he called the mayor and said, we're still committed. You know, pandemic or no pandemic, we're coming to Memphis and we're not going to miss a beat. We're coming, we're moving forward with our project. So those things are encouraging. And you look at all the construction, the airport improvements to the Concourse B, even though we've lost a lot of flights like every city has. And, you know, once again, we're going to find ourselves rebuilding that after we get through this pandemic. But the entire airline industry is probably the one area that I'm I'm most nervous about because they are really They've really taken a, a, a big hit during this over the last few months, parking about 90% of their fleet, all the airlines around the country. And those, it's not like taking a, you know, you hadn't driven your car in a couple of months, you just go out in the driveway and put the key in and drive off. I mean, once you take an airplane out of service to get it back in service, it's, I've, I've heard it's like 30, 45 days just to get a plane back because of all the checks and things, checks and balances they have to do. But, you know, I'm just so bullish and excited that, uh, you know, our future is going to be great. We're going to get behind this this situation and uh, tourism and hospitality is going to come through and we're going to have even better assets to sell and to promote when this is over with. What advice would you give anybody listening? It doesn't matter if they're just a part of an organization trying to get a trying to get a job, leading an organization. It doesn't matter. It applies to everybody. But what advice would you give like? on how you're adjusting to change right now in this season. Like, you know, this fall, the Renaissance Convention Center was going to open. You've already talked about a vision or a dream of a additional improvement to that at some point in the future. Like you're always, it seems like thinking about the future. How do you accept what's going on now and then still control what you can control, let go of what you can't and then keep moving forward. What does that look like with you and what you've learned throughout your career? Well, I'll tell you, I've learned a lot over the last seven or eight weeks. Fortunately, I'm not a creature of habit. I've, you know, as I've told many college interns that have worked for us, you know, what I love about my job is, is I can honestly say that there's never, you know, an eight to five days. And I don't have many eight to five days because so much of what we do has to go on at night as well. But, you know, no day is, no day is routine. No day is the same. It's not like I've, I do the same thing between 8.30 and 9 and the same thing between 9 and 10. Everything, there's something different all the time because tourism and hospitality is such a diverse industry and, and, uh, and so far reaching throughout this community and throughout this world. You know, I travel a lot, which I haven't traveled at all in two months. It's probably the longest I've gone without being on an airplane 
in the last 40 years because my whole career has been in the travel industry. It's probably been 40 years since I've gone two straight months without being on an airplane and going somewhere. So in a way, it's been kind of refreshing. In a way, it's kind of like, gosh, what am I going to – I don't hardly remember what getting on an airplane's like. It seems like it's been so long ago. But uh, I think the important thing is that in any business, you know, you can be the best planner in the world and you can be – think you're prepared for anything that can come your way. But sometimes – like 9-11, we saw a little glimpse of it, although it didn't last in, as long as this has. Crisis of 2008, which was pretty brutal uh, for our industry and for the U.S. economy. But I don't think anybody has seen that's in business today has ever seen anything like this. This is uh, when you shut down an entire economy, basically, unless you're Chick-fil-A and Walmart. You know, it's, it's been, it's just been devastating and it's not just the United States. It's, you know, this has happened to economies all over the world. So I would just say, you gotta be, you you gotta say, okay, this is the challenge. We went from a, a sales and marketing agency uh, serving a pretty robust industry. We were having a record year, January, February, up to about the 12th of March, we were 6% over 2019 and 2019 was a great year for us. So we were off to a great start. And then all of a sudden, you know, the wheels came slowing down and then, then, then coming screeching to a quick halt with uh, safer at home and the mandates to close. And now the two words that, you know, I will hope at some point will be out of our vocabulary and that's uh, social distancing because our industry is going to really struggle with social distancing. I'll give you a quick example of that. The Peabody ballroom on the continental ballroom, which is that big ballroom from the, if you're in the lobby of the Peabody and you're looking up, that's the ballroom on the second floor that you can see from the lobby. It's 12,500 square feet. They can hold about a thousand plus people in there Uh, with social distancing and the six foot rule. You can get 105 people in there. Can you imagine 105 people spread out? Most Memphians have been in the Continental Ballroom. So it's the same at the airport. If you have to social distance once tra- airline traffic comes back, can you imagine having a bunch of flights and people are six foot apart trying to get on an airplane? Well, and they're going to have to continue to subsidize because you know, they're not going to hit a break-even point on even the passenger carries. So, and a lot of restaurants will struggle at 50%. I know we will eventually, hopefully, if the data and we don't have a setback uh, and we'll get eventually to 75 and hundred percent capacity. But you know, a lot of restaurants, you know, they, if they had to go 50% and definitely they probably could, many of them could not make it. No restaurants were making money when it was takeout only. Yeah. I, I, I laugh about Chick-fil-A. They, they make it no matter what, but if you were in the, the takeout business before this started, you had a shot. But if that wasn't your bread and butter, you struggled with this. Even And I think some of the restaurants started doing a really good job on takeout and to go. But uh, it's still tough. And uh, so you got and, – and so for hotels and restaurants, our, our museums, our attractions, I mean, the zoo uh, on a good day will handle three, 4,000 people. Obviously, with social distancing and cautions they have to take, they've probably had to cut that back to less than 2,000. You know, the zoo's going to lose 10 million bucks in about a four or five month period, 10 million bucks. That's just the zoo. And God, I don't know what to think Graceland and, and other 
other members of our larger attractions are losing because, you know, our attractions were down to zero. There was no, no 50%, no nothing. They just shut them all down. So we got to come back and, and uh, we're going to get to build it back. And, and you got to also do it with people feeling that you've got their safety first and foremost at mind. So, you know, we went from a marketing sales organization to a crisis communication organization over, over, I mean, we were having daily calls with the leaders of our industry, both here locally that we represent here in Memphis, but also with the American Hotel Lodging Association in Washington, the National Restaurant Association, U.S. Travel Association, which is kind of the governing body of our industry. So congressmen's offices, senators' offices, I'm on, I'm on four different task force, two for the state, two for the city. So, you know, it, you know, my whole, my whole ecosystem that I usually was used to doing on a day-to-day basis completely flipped on its head. And I was joking with Mayor Strickland a few days ago. I said, man, I liked our day jobs a lot better before all this. And he said, well, I agree with you hundred percent because you know, this thing just consumes you. We've just been consumed. Many of us just dealing with the challenge of the minute. And I, and I got to give a shout out to governor Lee with the Tennessee pledge, which I think is fabulous. And, and, and mayor Strickland and, and this, and Mayor Harris and the Shelby County Health Department with the Back to Business program. You know, Tennessee's one of the first ones back. We're probably right now ahead of probably 80% of the U.S. of where we are with this thing. I know things could change. We could have, you know, we could go backwards. We could have problems. But I will tell you, I think that, that our government leaders in Tennessee and in Memphis and Shelby County should be commended for following the data making sure that priority, priority number one was to keep Memphians safe, but also realize that the, the economy's important too. And, and we, at some point, we got to get the economy moving again. And I think that in Tennessee and in Memphis and Shelby County, we're trying to do that with a very thoughtful and practical way. Yeah, I heard, you know, you hear a lot of stuff from a national, from a national perspective, and they talk about solving the problem, and it's better to throw more at it than less at it to solve the problem. But I just, throughout this whole season, I've really just come to respect even more, you know, our local leaders, but, and then also our governor, because it seems like they're very sensible and logical about the economic consequences, but then they also have a lot of care and compassion for the citizens. And you just see that play out in your state and in your city. And, you know, you, you know, everybody's always going to have an opinion or a criticism, but it, it literally feels like they're really trying to do what's best for the people and they're trying to do what's best for the economy. And it's, you know, once again, I think it's just something not to really appreciate in the fullest extent that you should. I talked to Dr. Jane, Minos Jane, who's been very close to the Strickland administration and county through this whole thing. And, you know, obviously I'm the tourism guy, so he knows I want people moving and I want crowds and I want, I want NBA basketball games. I want it all. That's what we need. But, I, you know, I gained such a great respect for him. He, and I realized that, you know, he wasn't trying to be anti-economy. He was very practical on some things that I took to him as concerns about some of the things that were being put in place even early on and some things that are still in place today. I mean, look, nobody's got the perfect playbook on this, Uh, you know, and I'm not faulting anybody. I'm just saying uh, this is something, you know, is is six foot enough, is six foot too much? Was locking the economy down, was it the right thing to do? Was it not the right thing to do? I mean, 
who knows? I don't know. I mean, hopefully we've saved a lot of people that might've died from dying and, and, uh, and everybody's got their own thoughts on that, but, you know, back to, to leadership and the ability of changing, you know, when I saw what happened to new Orleans after Katrina, I got my senior team together and I said, okay, let's put Memphis in their boat because, you know, we were asked, I was on the Red Cross task force helping with all the refugees that came up to Memphis from the New Orleans area. So I was, all of our visitor centers kind of became point, you know, point of entry for a lot of people who were driving up here from New Orleans and Baton Rouge and other places. So, and I remember coming back to my office while we were in the middle of that situation. And I said, you know, we need to have a plan here because, you know, we live off a hotel motel bed tax. And if God, if we ever had one of those earthquakes, it's always been predicted for Memphis. I wasn't thinking pandemic and I wasn't thinking even a tornado or a hurricane. I was thinking, I was thinking earthquake. And I said, and our industry were to get knocked out and the hotels went down to hardly nothing. How would we make it? Because we live off primarily off a hotel lodging tax our budget, $16 million a year, and probably 14 of that comes from from hotel revenues. So I said, boy, what would we do? So we, at that point, put a plan in place to build reserves and to really have contingency plans. What would we do if we were ever faced with a situation like New Orleans was faced with? So we have a crisis communication that we've had for some time. And we're working that plan. And while I don't know exactly how long this will last and how long before we get back to normalcy, I've heard that we hired Oxford Economics to come in here to work specifically with us in the latter part of March to say, look at our market, look at Memphis, kind of give us your assessment. They came back and said, we think that, you know, the rest of 2020, this was in March, the rest of 2020 is going to be pretty anemic. 2021 for tourism and hospitality is going to be slow and you probably won't get back to what you were used to in not 2019 till about 2022 at the earliest. And I said, okay, we're going to work off of that assumption. Hope that we're wrong. Hope it doesn't last that long, but we're going to work off that assumption. And uh, by following the data, we put together a plan that we are implementing a recovery plan, not only for our industry, but a recovery plan for to make sure our organization can be there to do the things that we need to do for our industry when we come through this. And, you know, I feel pretty confident we're going to be able to weather this storm. I don't want to sound arrogant or acting like, uh, you know, everybody's hurting right now and everybody's being, is being forced to make some real serious and hard decisions as far as employee count and where you're going to cut all that. We're going to, you know, unfortunately, we're going to have to do some of those things as well. But, you know, my job is to make sure that I've got this organization built to make it another hundred years. You know, we're almost a hundred years old. A lot of Memphians don't even know that, but, uh, you know, we've been around, I think the chamber's 175 years, 150 years. We're about almost a hundred. So, you know, we're not, you know, we've been around a long time, just like the chamber has. And so, you know, I think we're built to hopefully weather this storm and be ready for the future. Yeah, I think it's so neat just tying some things together from what you've shared your early years with those few different opportunities out of college, but then your years with Kimmins Wilson, Holiday Inn, 
it just sounds like a really neat story of just how that was preparation. And then you took, you know, this over 29 years ago and then where all it's gone since and how much growth, how much improvement, how much you're still, it sounds like just engaged today as you were 29 years ago. And then also too, to pivot. One of the things that just comes out here and people like yourself and other leaders talk like it, it kind of is what it is. It, you know, it, it sounds like the past is the past and you just roll with it. And then, but then also to hear how, what you shared about with Katrina, how that gave you insight and awareness to start putting things in place. I mean, I think those are just skills and, you know, foresight and lessons that anybody can learn about a, how to really think about leadership, but b like thinking about for you personally, your gifts with promoting the city, selling the city, making deals happen, bringing people together, understanding what the challenges and issues are, but still also understanding where things need to go and how to be optimistic, how it's like, you know, all of those things are like a reason to why, you know, even with this pivot and even with this change, it's kind of, it sounds like you're just all in and, you know, we're going to deal with it. We're going to get through it. And then we're going to come out on the other side above it. And that just sounds like very optimistic, confident, but also realistic leadership. Well, when I got here, we, uh, we rented our office space at Morgan Keegan tower. I think we were paying uh, $10,000 a month for rent on the fourth floor. Nobody even knew we were in there. Our sign was nowhere except on a reader board in the lobby. And I went to our board early on. I said, look, I said, you know, this organization at the time was about 70 something years old. I said, you got no assets. You got no money in the bank. You, you obviously you spend every penny that you bring in and you really don't have enough much to show for it. And uh, fortunately I had a board at that time that said, and I said, look, I come from corporate America. I'm not a nonprofit guy, not for profit. We're not a nonprofit. We're not for profit 501 C six. I said, but you know, this balance sheet makes me very uncomfortable because you, you know, we don't have anything to react if we ever have a problem somewhere down the road, whatever, whatever it might be, even an opportunity that could come along that we would not be able to react to. And, um, I think our balance sheet when I got here was like less than a half a million dollars, 1991. Our balance sheet today is over 32 million and we have no debt, zero debt. So we were built to built to be some, to be able to withstand some storms. We don't have 32 million in the bank. I'm not saying that, but I mean, our, it's just our balance sheet. We own, we own visitor centers. We own the building we're in here. As I said, we moved out of Morgan Keegan and, and, and bought a building on Union Avenue where our headquarters has been since 1992. We had to borrow money from individuals to do that deal. We couldn't even get banks to loan us <laughs> the money to renovate this building. We bought this building from John Malmo for $250,000. And we renovated it for another, I think, three or 400000 at the time. We paid the building off in six years. We've been paying ourselves rent ever since then. This building's worth probably a million and a half, two million dollars today. And we have assets in Arlington and assets in, in Whitehaven. So, you know, we've ran this like a business. And, and 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 unfortunately, you know, some people can't do that. Some people, their charter won't even allow them to do that if they're a nonprofit. So, but we were we we had the flexibility and we had a board that had uh, some really astute business people that gave me great advice and support. So, you know, you know, my goal is just to make sure, you know, whenever my time comes to leave here is to leave the building, leave the organization in better shape than the way I found it. And that, you know, if, if I think if I do that 
and we, we accomplished our mission of growing tourism and hospitality, then, you know, we're going to be all the better for it. And Memphis and Shelby County will win. And, you know, that's how I want to be graded on. That's how I want to be uh, remembered for just to make sure that I did the things I was supposed to do. And I'm sure I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. When you've been around as long as I have, I'm sure I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. And, but uh, fortunately, I've had great people, great staff, great great team of people, professionals that love Memphis and care Memphis. Everybody we hire, we say, listen, your resume looks great, but if you don't have a passion and love for this community, this job probably in for you, you know, you got to love it and you got to believe in it. It's not just a job and it may not be a career, you know, especially with our millennial generation that, you know, they, they love to, move around and experience different things. And I've got the greatest deal of respect for, they must look at me being at the same place as long as I am thinking, what planet did that guy come from? But, but, uh, you know, I know the world's changed now and you know, most people aren't going to stay at an organization for more than just a few years at a time. And that's okay. You know, change is good and gives you an opportunity to bring a lot of different skill sets into place. But you know, this is the path that I've taken, but the, the one thing that I do insist on, uh, if you're, whether you're going to work here six months or you're going to work here six years, you got to have a love and passion for Memphis. You got to believe it and you got to be able to sell it every day. And that's what, that's, that's what we try to do here. That is great. Last question. What close to 30 years of building this company, you said when you started, it had around half a million dollars less than that value on its balance sheet. Now you said close to 32 million. So the multiple on that is obviously incredible. But what have you learned about how to surround yourself with people that are not gifted where you're gifted to build an organization that allowed you to scale like that? You know, we've just been very fortunate. I mean, uh, a lot of our senior leadership has been here over 10 years and they're very committed and they kind of, they're, they're, they're real industry professionals. They really understand tourism and hospitality. They got a good DNA of what Memphis and what makes Memphis and Shelby County and this entire region, what makes it tick. And, you know, one thing I, you know, requested my senior people to be involved, you know, I serve on a lot of boards in this community. Uh, I think uh, be effective. I mean, I'm on boards that wouldn't be considered tourism related. I'm on the University of Tennessee Medical School Board of Visitors. I'm on, you know, I'm on the Methodist Hospital uh, Advisory Board. so, you know, I, so I get involved in things that just are not hospitality related, but they're important to Memphis. And, and I, you know, and I ask all my senior people to do that, to be involved in various associations, both locally and nationally. You know, I had the privilege of even chairing the entire International Association of, of Convention and Visitors Bureaus, which was all the tourism bureaus around the world. I was, their, uh, I was their chairman for a year, and that was a great experience for me. But yeah, I just think we got to be plugged in. I mean, we're in the people business and you, you you need to be plugged into everything that makes Memphis great. So most of our people are wired that way to do that. Yeah, this has been great. I can't wait for people to hear it once it gets out. Kevin, thanks for making time for me this morning. Thank you. It's been great. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned at least one thing today that you can apply to your own life. If you like the show, please make sure and leave a review. And be sure to tune in each week as I'll be releasing a new episode. Hope you have a great day.